I am nervous about this, so I have written down what I want to say. A, because I know I'll freeze if I don't, and B, you'll never get home if I just drivel on. So at least I can guarantee that you'll be home for dinner. Right, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Margaret Folwell. And for those of you who do, my name's still Margaret Folwell. But you probably call me something different under your breath, but never mind. I've been married to my husband, Derek, for 46 years next week. I have a son named Damien. I have a son named Damien, a daughter named Natasha, and a gorgeous eight-year-old granddaughter named Abigail. I am the only Christian on both sides of my family, and I sometimes find it very difficult to balance my time and commitment to both family and church. I'm telling you my story about my journey of faith and leading up to committing myself here at Central Vineyard, not because I want your sympathy, but because I want you to hear how I found God in one of my lowest ebbs in life and how faithful God was and still is to me even now. As I was such a doubting Thomas, God had to present himself to me in some very prominent and curious ways to get me to notice him. My trust in him grew as I got to know him more, and that trust I built up still carries me through difficult times today. It is on reflection that I realised God had been knocking on the door of my heart since childhood and waiting patiently for me to let him into my life, but that didn't happen until I was in my 40s. As a child, my parents didn't believe in that religious rubbish but allowed me to attend Sunday school with my friends. And I'm embarrassed but going to be honest to say that I went to whichever church gave the best prize at any given time. (laughs) At the Church of England, we collected picture stamps that formed stories when the book was complete. The Baptist Church gave us books at the end of the Sunday school year. The Congregational Church also gave books. But the Methodists gave us sweets as well and took us on trips. So happy days. From teenage years until I wanted a church wedding, religion played absolutely no part in my life whatsoever. When Damien was born, I touched base again with the church because I wanted him baptised, even though I hadn't been. The baptism service meant nothing to me. Ten babies were baptised in the service, and to be honest, it was just like a conveyor belt and very impersonal. So when Tasha was born three years later, I wanted something different for her, so my next-door neighbour invited me along to her church. The vicar seemed friendly enough, the congregation welcoming, so Tash was baptised there weeks later. I felt it would be rude not to attend church afterwards, so I vowed to myself to attend for a few weeks and then bow out. It was difficult finding time to attend regularly, what with two young children and Derek wanting to lie in on a Sunday. But somehow I felt drawn to want to be there. And there came a time where I began to feel a bit excluded from part of the service, because in the Anglican service, after communion, we all said a prayer together that said, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And because I personally hadn't been allowed to receive communion, I didn't feel part of it. So after attending classes to explore the Christian faith, 
I was baptised and confirmed into the family of God and was now eligible to receive communion. I attended church as regular as I could. I was a good person and helped others, had now been baptised and received communion. So as far as I was concerned, I was a perfect Christian. There was nothing more to it. Over the course of the next few years, I became involved in the life of the church and I became Sunday school teacher, then went on to form a youth group. But at the beginning of 1990, I started feeling unwell. I noticed a lump under my arm, which I was told was a swollen gland. And after many appointments at various clinics, I was told that as I didn't fit into any specific criteria, there was nothing wrong with me. Many months passed, I was in extreme pain to the extent that I was having to have morphine administered to me at home, and the lump was getting bigger. I couldn't go out because I was having to use a stool as a zimmer frame to get around, and the pain was so intense. I was now at the end of my tether. On December the 30th, 1990, I at last found a doctor who understood what I was saying, but sadly, he diagnosed me with having non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is cancer of the lymph glands. I was admitted to the Talbot Butler Ward the next day for scans and a biopsy. Obviously, I was very scared and stressed as I waited to go down to theatre. And in my grief and desperation, I called out to God. And this was the first time that I had ever spoken to God outside of church. I cried... God, if you are the loving person that I hear about at church every week, then I need you now. Please help me. There was a knock at the door. No, it wasn't God. (laughs) But it was my vicar, which was a surprise because I hadn't told anyone that I was going into hospital. But someone had seen me in there and had phoned him to ask him to see if he knew why. Anyway, he prayed with me, which helped calm me down. And then suddenly I wanted him to leave. He was very reluctant at first, but did as I asked. Then a strange thing happened, because after he had closed the door, a gentle breeze came into the room, and somehow I felt peaceful and brave. The scans and biopsy took place, and the news wasn't good. The lump was a malignant tumour. My body was riddled with cancer cells, that had attached themselves to most of my organs and stomach, and the outlook was as bleak, bleak as the cancer was now at an advanced stage. The prognosis was five years max. How was I going to cope? I had two children to think about, and a husband who couldn't cope with stressful situations since a breakdown a few years earlier. I felt as though I was climbing over a very large brick wall and entering a long, dark black tunnel with no light at the end. I started my treatment, and strange things started to happen. I was waiting for a CT scan, drinking the horrible stuff you have to down beforehand, when out of nowhere, a doctor, who wasn't related in any way to my case, came into the room and said to me, if you're going to have cancer, then this is the best one to have. What a strange thing to say. Is there a better cancer? I don't think so. 
but at least his remarks gave me some hope. Then everywhere I went, the old rugged cross was being played. Every time I turned on the radio or TV, Harry Seacombe or someone else was singing it. I even went into a little boutique out of town and a major department store, and it was being played there too. It stopped me in my tracks. It was all too much of a coincidence. I'd only ever heard it at an old aunt's funeral before. But the verse, I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it some day for a crown really stirred something up inside me. And for the first time, I seriously began to think about Jesus and the cross. I went into remission after several months of treatment, but unfortunately the cancer came back several times over the following weeks, months and years. And each time something strange happened again. One time I was again waiting for a CT scan when I heard a man whistling as he came down the corridor. My ears pricked up because he was whistling, This is my God, the servant king, who calls us now to follow him. The whistling got closer and closer until the man stopped outside the room I was in. He looked in at me, smiled, stopped whistling and went on his way in silence. When I collected my children from my neighbours, she told me that she'd been singing, This is my God, the servant king, all morning. And suddenly at 11 o'clock, the tune had disappeared from her head, the exact time the man in the hospital had stopped whistling. Another time when I was admitted to hospital, I saw a nurse just standing outside my room, just look, looking in and smiling. Two days later, she came into my room to admit, administer some antibiotics and I asked her what she'd been doing standing there. She told me that God had asked her to come and pray for me. I was beginning to get a bit freaked out with all these strange things happening, and it, it, at this time hadn't realised that God was presenting himself to me through all these people to bring me comfort and healing. At church during all this time, we had had a change of vicar, and he was different to others we had had before, he and his wife had definitely got something about them that I wanted. He talked about having a living relationship with Jesus here and now and that I too could have that same relationship if I gave my life to Jesus. I too could be filled with this thing called the Holy Spirit. But I had to put God first in everything in my life. No way could I even begin to think about putting anyone before Derek and my children. But after many, many heated discussions, lots of persuasion, and the fact that year five was looming, my cancer had returned, what had I got to lose? I gave my life to Jesus, put God first in everything, and like the vicar had said, everything dropped into place in my life. Even Derek stopped moaning about me going to church. But it was the dreaded year five. I wasn't feeling too well again because of the cancer, but I now had a new friend in God. And I'm embarrassed to say that I started bargaining with him to give me extra time. Please, God, let me live long enough to see my children finish school, go to university, get married, 
see my grandchildren, etc., etc. So it went on. I promised to do all sorts of things for him when I got better. At this stage of my journey, I hadn't realised that God's love and grace was free and that I didn't have to bargain with him to receive it. Year five was a very frightening time for me. Each time I felt unwell, I wondered whether that was going to be the end, and I got to the stage that when I went to bed, I didn't close my eyes for fear of not waking. I used to go to bed with Derek, and once he was asleep, I would creep downstairs and sit outside, marvelling at God's creation in the moon and stars, and drawing strength from the stillness of night. As you can imagine, it was another stressful time, but this time depression was beginning to creep in. My vicar and his wife asked if they could pray and lay hands on me for healing, to which I agreed. I didn't let them do it in my house because Derek would think something weird was going on. So we met in my neighbour's house. I was angry, depressed, frightened. My fists were so clenched, they were so tightly clenched, that you could see the whites of my knuckles. The vicar didn't say much as he prays, and after a long period of silence, he just said, think about the lady who reached out to touch Jesus' robe. And before I knew it, my arm was outstretched, and I had a picture of a golden hand reaching out to me, and it felt as though it touched my hand. And when I opened my eyes, one by one, my clenched fingers were unfurling, allowing this golden hand to take mine. I was filled with a peace I couldn't explain. At first, I didn't tell anyone about my experience because I thought they would think I was going crazy and that the chemo was having stranger effects than it was supposed to. But the prayers worked. I went into remission, and besides a few minor blips along the way, I am pleased to say that my health is now well under control. I learnt a lot from my time of being in that dark place. I learnt a lot about myself and about other people. People used to cross the road to avoid speaking to me because they didn't know what to say. People who I thought were my friends avoided me because they couldn't cope. Yet some people who I didn't expect to respond turned upon my doorstep with flowers and meals for my family. My emotions were a roller coaster of surprise, hurt, anger and frustration as I cope with the disappointment of people not acting in the way I expected, and sometimes I allowed my disappointment to fester. I learnt a lot about God as well. He made me more aware of my surroundings. He opened my eyes to the beauty of his creation, because previously I'd been too busy to notice. He taught me the priorities of life and the needs and love of others. He made me aware of how fragile and precious life is. But most important of all, he made me aware of how much he loved me. The months rolled by and my health started improving. I was now praying at home and I had developed a really close relationship with Jesus. And it was during this time that I felt God asking me to use everything I had learned from my recent experience to help others. So I trained for two years to be a pastoral assistant in my church, which allowed me to be an official representative of the church 
to visit the sick at home and in a hospital, to visit the bereaved, the lonely and elderly at home, and to take communion into local care homes. It was during this time that I also addressed the difficulty I personally had with dealing with people with special needs. I volunteered on my day off work to help in a local special needs school. I learnt very quickly how to acknowledge and communicate with them as individuals and how much they deserve my attention and respect rather than ignoring them and talking to their carers. This was such a rewarding time in my life and I spent 15 happy years there until I felt God telling me he had other plans for me. I do not like change and being put out of my comfort zone and I also find letting go of things difficult so leaving and saying goodbye was an emotional time. My role as pastoral assistant also came to an end after 10 years of serving God and the community in this way because my sister-in-law had died of breast cancer and as I grieved I found dealing with other people's problems too much so I bowed out of church commitments. I don't know how long it was between this stage and the next stage of my journey, but God started making me aware of people in poverty. I had for many years contributed to Christian charities to help alleviate poverty abroad, but he was making me aware that poverty was a problem for many families here at home in Northampton. So I searched on the internet to see if there was any local charities that helped people in this situation, and I discovered something called Central Vineyard, who were supporting this campaign. So I phoned them and was given an address where I could take my donation to food and money. To be perfectly honest, I was a bit suspicious because the address I was given was somebody's home, and I did wonder whether the scheme was genuine. So sorry, Sam, if it was you that I doubted. <laughs> Before I knew it, the food bank had increased in demand, moved premises to cope with extra storage space needed, and I had become a volunteer. Four to five years later, I am pleased to say that I still volunteer here at Restore twice a week and love every minute of it, listening to people's stories, laughing and sometimes crying with them, and pouring out God's love to them as best as I can giving them hope in their painful and sometimes distressing situations. I always find I learn such a lot when God leads me into new situations out my comfort zone, and now I am learning not to be judgmental, but to try to see everyone in the way that Jesus sees them, as difficult as that sometimes might be. It also makes me aware and thankful of the blessings God pours into my life on a daily basis. Then two years ago, another bombshell dropped into my life again. It was like a deja vu situation, but reversed, because my husband was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. This was such a shock, because he hadn't been feeling unwell. After blood and genetic tests, he was told it was as bad as it could get, and they were surprised he was carrying on with his life as normal. He was selected to go on a clinical trial at Kettering Hospital and was admitted two days before Christmas 2015. And for four and a half months, he underwent some invasive, gruelling treatment. 
At first, it was touch and go as he fought off infections that they found hard to get under control. But the power of prayer from so many people got him through. And although this was a very stressful time, things seemed slightly different to when I faced a similar situation. I now had found God, had a good relation with him, and knew that I could draw strength from him. I also had my friends here at Restore who prayed with me and gave me lots of herbs. Their love, prayers and support carried me through. I am pleased to say that my husband is doing really well. He finished a trial about six weeks ago and is due to undergo a bone marrow biopsy on Wednesday to make sure all is well, so your prayers would be very much appreciated. As you can imagine, all this stress eventually began to take its toll on me. And although I knew God had carried me through, I felt spiritually drained and I felt I was wandering in a spiritual desert. Kay Jones invited me here to a service to see if a change of venue and worship would reignite the flame. How right she was. I walked up the stairs here to a very warm, friendly welcome and somehow I felt I had come home. Everything Steve said in his talk seemed relevant to how I was feeling, and I had butterflies in my tummy. I went home full of joy and decided to come back the following week to hear part two of the talk. As I've said previously, I don't like change, and I certainly struggle with letting go of things. So after several weeks of hopping between my church and here, I was faced with a dilemma. My heart wanted to be here because everything Steve said was transforming, healing, challenging my broken spirit. But I felt a loyalty to my church that I had attended for 36 years. I kept ignoring God's prompting to move on and come here for several painful weeks of inner struggle until I realised that having one foot in both churches was unfair to all. God was asking me every day, when are you going to do as I ask and move on? And from past experience, I knew that he would persevere in his asking of me until I finally obeyed. So apprehensively, I committed myself here at Central Vineyard at the beginning of this year, believing that God wants me here for a purpose. Week by week, I feel restored and renewed, uplifted by the worship and challenged by Steve talk, and now begin to feel really close to God once again. But guess what? My life went through turmoil yet again. In December, my brother-in-law died after an unsuccessful heart operation. Sorry. In March, another brother-in-law's partner was killed in a car accident. And in April... My 94-year-old mother-in-law announced she had a lump in her breast and passed away six weeks later. The enemy had a field day trying to get into my life during this devastating time, and I felt a real spiritual battle going on. My emotions were all over the place once again. I began to feel sorry for myself. I became angry and disappointed, and the bitterness festered once more. I didn't like the person I was becoming 
and I was acting out of character and having some really nasty thoughts. But my dear friend Brian Jones, who I respect dearly, noticed and prayed with me and gave me words of advice to encourage me in the right way. And that's just what I needed, someone to care and to guide me through. So here I am, Central Vineyard, a new committed member. I embrace worship on Sundays and feel comfortable with my new church family. But a few weeks ago, when Steve confirmed the changes ahead, my heart sank. And I must admit, I had a horrid Henry moment. And for those of you who don't know who horrid Henry is, he is a children's TV character that I watch with my granddaughter. And when something happens that he doesn't like, or when he's asked to do something he doesn't want to do, then the screen fills with his open mouth, his tonsils bounce up and down, and he screams, No! I honestly admit, I went out heavy-hearted and screamed at God on the way home. What are you doing to me? Why did you bring me here when you know I don't like change? And he replied, If you truly believe that it is I who have called you here, then you must trust me, for I know the fuller picture. As God has never let me down in the past, I wait a little attentively as to where I fit in. At the moment, I feel my ministry is outside the church, walking with my grieving families and caring for my very sick neighbours. But I know the time will come when God makes it obvious as to what my role here is. I also agree with Brian Jones, who the other week said that we are all pieces of God's jigsaw plan here at Central Vineyard. As I look around, I see many, many talented people, and I sometimes wonder how on earth I'm going to fit in, as I'm not really that good at anything in particular. Then I thought about the jigsaw Brian spoke about, and realised that some pieces of the jigsaw are edges that, when joined together in the right order, form the framework and foundation. Some pieces, like the sky and the grass, are obvious as to where to be placed. And as the picture plan grows, it usually becomes clearer as to where to place the standard shape pieces. But the odd shape pieces usually have to wait to near the end until all the other pieces around have been joined together. Then the space left is the perfect shape for them to fit into and complete the picture. Each picture is valuable and each picture... Each piece is needed to complete the whole thing. So, what shape are you? Are you like me, wondering where you fit into God's plan here? Do you trust God enough to take a blind step of faith into God's unknown plan? Are you prepared to step out of your comfort zone to serve him in whichever way he calls you to do? You are my church, new church family and I look forward to getting to know more of you. If, like me, you feel uncomfortable with change and feel unsure as to where you fit in, then I invite you to come and hold my hand, and together we can step out in faith and jump into that perfect space that God will leave for us to fit into to fulfil his plan both for this church and our community. As we strive to serve God in the best way we can, We pray that by our prayers and actions, Northampton will be set on fire with his love and that many souls will come to be saved. 
and may everything we do here bring God the glory. Let's Can we just pray? Loving Father, we thank you that you are an awesome God who knows what we need before we even do. We thank you that whatever we face in life, whether ill health, stressful situations, personal crisis, you are only an ask away, waiting, ready to comfort, heal, strengthen, protect and transform. We thank you that you pour out your love through the many people you send into our lives to walk with us through these crises. Lord Jesus, open our eyes daily to the wonder and beauty of your world. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to enable us to walk in that different story that Steve spoke about the other week. And as we receive your abundant blessings you so freely give to us on a daily basis help us to be good stewards and use them wisely for the good of others as we strive to serve you in the best way we can here at central vineyard unite us in perfect harmony to bring healing peace and your love to this broken town in jesus name we pray amen Amen.